Hey everyone, and welcome to the LBC Podcast, where we explore Christian theology and practice for the building up of God's family. I'm your host today, John Harrell, Worship Director at LBC, and joining me as co-host is Leslie Carroll. Good morning. And we have two very special guests with us today from the staff at LBC, our pastoral staff. We have Chris Moore, our family ministries pastor. Hello. And then, of course, we have our lead pastor, Pastor Eric Burns. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you guys doing this morning? We are well. I'm doing well. Yeah. Ready? Yeah, I'll let you know at the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. You never know how this goes. Also joining us is Elijah, who is helping us out by pushing the buttons and keeping us on the tracks and watching the levels and working as our producer. How are you doing, Elijah? Good. Well, today we have a really important topic to discuss, and this is a topic that's actually born out of a ongoing conversation that seems to be coming up a lot at LBC within the life of the body. You know, we've been going through the book of Matthew on Sunday mornings, which is really exciting, and it's always exciting to see um, how going through the Bible verse by verse brings up really great questions in our lives. And the question that we're addressing today is, how do I know that I'm saved? You know, we've, in recent weeks, Pastor Dave and Pastor Eric have been Uh, you know, preaching through the parables. We've looked at the parable of the soils, along with the parable of the weeds, where the wheat and the weeds are growing together. In both of those sermons, I think Matthew 7 was referenced, you know, which is a really scary passage of scripture talking about, you know, how people are going to do all kinds of great things for God. And yet at the end of it all, you know, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so, you know, there's there's lots of great questions that that have come out of uh, these recent sermons. Um, really surrounding, you know, can you lose your salvation and how do I know that I'm saved? So we want to take it deeper and we want to really address this topic uh, mainly for the congregants at LBC, but for, you know, anybody who's listening today. And so how do I know that I'm saved? What's the fruit that I can see in my life? And is it even important? Maybe that's the first question we need to address here today. Is it important to answer this question? How do I know that I'm saved? Yeah, I think it's important because every time we talk about a heavy passage, um, people get really, really concerned. Mm. And so I think uh, the challenge in this is the people who are really afraid about knowing they're saved, um, this doesn't always help them as much as I wish it did. And then the people who probably should be concerned mm. are not are not concerned. And so hopefully if we do this right, we'll comfort the ones who need some comfort and maybe challenge the ones who um, weren't really realizing what the scripture calls us to. That's good. So, for, you know, for, for those who really are saved, though, like, I mean, why do we, why do we doubt our salvation? What are, what are the things that cause us to doubt our salvation? Why does this question keep coming up? Yeah, I think it's what the scripture tells us is that we sin, and sin puts a break in the relationship, and that sin causes us to doubt the relationship. And, you know, that's why First John tells us if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Um, if we say we don't sin, it makes Jesus a liar. And so sin, I think, sows a seed of doubt. And then as we talked about in the parable, uh, you know, of the soils and the seeds is, is that Satan does, he's an adversary mm. and he casts doubt. And um, I think that's why the scripture commands us uh, to understand the love of God in so many different places, because I think it's natural uh, when you are saved, you realize you're a sinner. Like, could God really love me? Mm. And I think that's why Paul in Ephesians 3 prays that they would comprehend the depth, the width, and the breadth of the love of God, um, because it's hard for us to command. 
And I think that's why in Romans 8, he says, look, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Yeah. Because it's natural for us to say, wait, you're perfect. I'm terrible. Are you sure? You know, that's <laughs> kind of the natural progression of thought. And so I, I think to that degree, uh, sin really sows that seed and then Satan preys on that mm. and you have a natural inclination to doubt. So would you say that doubting your salvation is a normal part of the Christian experience? I think for some people, um, I would say I think some people have what I would call a gift of faith. Hmm. They just they just know they're saved. And it, they still take sin very serious. They still take their walk with Christ very serious. It's not um, they're using that assurance as an excuse to sin. They just don't doubt, you know. And then and then there's other people who every every time they make a bad decision, they're like, oh, man, mm -hmm. I should know better. I've, you know, been a Christian this long. I've been to church. And it, it is really, really hard for them. And so I, I think, you know, to one degree or another, everyone struggles with it. But I would say some more than others. But the, I think the key in all of this is that doesn't make you a lesser Christian. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's 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 get personal here. Have any of you guys ever done that? Uh, ironically, the last three years while I'm in seminary, right? <laughs> seminary. Uh, yes, yeah, so you're you like know. it wasn't. It wasn't the coursework. It wasn't that. It was the. Um, I was reminded of Galatians about the fruit of the spirit, and I think it was just fatigue from being in school, and mm -hmm. just I was increasingly getting sharp, like with my kids, and I'm like. I'm not demonstrating any of this fruit. Like what is going mm -hmm. on? And not, not that I doubted that I was a believer. It was just God, where's the fruit? You know, I'm not demonstrating it. And there, you know, there was probably a, a time of repentance and, and, you know, realizing I need to spend time with the Lord because I'm spent. Um, but it made me have a questioned, you know, like God, where are you? Like you're not being demonstrated in my life right now. So yeah. not so much, doubting my faith but just there's no fruit right now and yeah. that bothered me you know and um i think that wrestling was good and healthy for me i think i've, I've had a crisis once i doubt if i should be a pastor or a christian <laughs> often um i think that's that's kind of i hope that's natural i hear it is um, but like a true crisis um you know was when um, see, we were living in Arizona and, um, Fawn, we found out Fawn was pregnant through a car accident. Oh. And so we didn't know. And so she had a broken collarbone and, you know, she'd had the x-rays and she had pain medication, all the things you're not supposed to do. And, um, I was, you know, without a job, well, kind of, I was working at a car wash. No one spoke English, you know, and I'm just... <laughs> going through all of this in my mind and I'm like, is this even real? Like, is this has got to be a joke. And I kind of had that job moment, you know, mm -hmm. you know, like, God, I, I don't even know if this is, I went to school, done all these things and it just doesn't seem like it's real. Mm. And I kind of had that, where were you when I, and then, mm. and then I just remember like, just, just God, I'm so sorry. You're right. No, you're right. You know, the, the health isn't promised to me. Um, wealth isn't promised to me. Um, your son Jesus has promised to me. And I remember just kind of that Job moment. I've spoken things that I should not have spoken, things too <laughs> marvelous. And that yeah. was actually, I look back as like a, a, like a pillar in my life, like where I was tested and like, no, I know. 
mm. you know, when, when things got stripped away, I wrestled, um, but it, it really strengthened and affirmed like, no, I love Jesus, even if, you know, running through the scenarios, if the yeah. child doesn't come, if the job doesn't come, mm. if, yeah. you know, running through all that. And it's like, no, we're, we're all in. Um, but that was probably one that stood out to me. It's just like, okay, is this real? Yeah. And I had to go through that. And I'm glad I did because I, I, it just strengthened my faith and helps me when other big moments come. It's mm-hmm. good. I wonder for a lot of people too, that is when this question like, am I really saved comes up? Because it's like, Lord, if I'm yours and you're walking with me through this life, then why does, you know, insert, you know, hardship or terrible time? Why is this happening to mm. me if I am indeed your child? And that's when those questions start to surface like, you know, is this really real? Am I, you know, wasting my time, but leaving all these things <laughs> when still terrible things are happening or hardships, like where do I see God in all of these? And I feel like for a lot of people, myself included, when you go through a hard time, that is where you see the Lord. And even yeah. when it's really at a real bottom and it's really in devastation, you're like, oh, okay, you are, even if I don't see it until I walk past whatever this thing is. Right like you can turn around and be like, okay, I do see you. Yeah. But those questions naturally come up, of course, when you're going through a hard time, of course, you're going to wonder like, gosh, why is all this happening if the Lord's walking Mm -hmm. by me? So it sounds like, you know, for a lot of people, and for a lot of Christians, the reason why we struggle or the reason why we doubt our salvation, like you said, Pastor Eric, has to do with our sin. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that, you know, we sin and and we, we wrestle with this, kind of dual nature inside of us where we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, which causes us to hate our sin and causes us to love God and causes us to desire God. And yet at the same time, we have our flesh, which still wars inside of us, that is um, craving the things that are not of God and craves individuality and craves independence from God and hatred towards God. And so, you know, that can get really confusing and muddled in the life of a believer when we continue to sin. And then you read passages like in First John where it says that, you know, he who continues in sin, yeah. uh, you know, is not of God, you know. And so these, these passages can sometimes, you know, cause us to ask the question, I mean, th- is, it, is it good to doubt our salvation? Um, does, God, does God want us to have assurance of salvation? And how do we know that? Yeah, I, I think here, the answer is the answer people don't like. It's yes mm. to both. Um, he wants you to have assurance, but you, you should, maybe doubt is the wrong word. First Corinthians tells us to test, mm. test to see that, you know, you're in the faith. And, and I think it's be, because, because we sin and, you know, that's, that's in a communion passage. It's referencing, you know, this is what Christ did for you. Yeah. Do you care? Does mm. that matter to you? Do you see what he did for you? And it's drawing you back to, I do care. I am grateful. And so when you look at it through that lens, the, the tension in Scripture is, is very much don't sin, don't sin, don't mm-hmm. sin, but Christ loves you. Like you're righteous, made right, but you're a sinner, and you need to work at not sinning through the Holy Spirit and community and God's Word. And um, that tension exists in the Scripture. You're saved, but stop sinning. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was just gonna add to. I was just reading Hebrews chapter six and chapter ten and chapter four. But there's a lot of t- times when the author of that book uh, 
uses the words of uh, confidence before the throne of God. Mm. Let us come with confidence, right? Hold fast the confession. Um, so there's this idea that as believers, we should be confident. Yeah. Um, we should hold fast our confession. Um, so just kind of answer your question. I, I think he wants us to be confident in that. And, yeah. and it, it makes me think too, you know, if you've, if you've, uh, you know, maybe had parents who were abusive or maybe, you know, a parent that wasn't offering much affection and you're always trying to earn and you're trying mm, to yeah. fight for their affection or their attention. Um, you, you're never satisfied, but with, with God, it's, he's, he's done everything to demonstrate that he loves us. Like yeah. we don't have to question that anymore. You know, his love is never in question. Yeah. I would sum it up maybe by saying a, a deeper understanding of the gospel I think is essential in the life of a believer. The gospel sometimes in the church gets treated like it's that, that, you know, elementary level understanding of who God is and, you know, what life is really all about. But we move past the gospel and then we move on to deeper things in the faith. Uh, like personality tests? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good one. Circling back, I like it. <laughs> when in actuality, the gospel is the very bedrock foundation. It's the air we breathe. It is, it is the why behind everything that's a part of the Christian life. And so it's imperative that the believer understands on a deep level and a deeper and a deeper and a deeper level, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, because I, I, I believe it does give us that assurance when we understand on a, on a deeper level, what the gospel, what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And so um, why don't we just take a minute, whoever wants to um, share the gospel. Um, I, I, I love, I love doing this with folks and Actually, I think when I first met with Eric and he was vetting me to come to the church, this is one of the questions you asked. Uh, give me the gospel in, in a minute. <laughs> Eric's going to put it on me. Yeah. Go, Chris. All right. So you got to understand God's creator created everything very good. Um, man sin. We see that Genesis 3. Mm -hmm. um, because Adam and Eve sinned, all mankind has sinned from there on. So Genesis 3, God made a plan, right? The, the snake crusher, we'll mm. call him, right? Um, so then God's plan was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would go to the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, shedding blood, giving up of his body. It's that blood that shed, his body that is given to us, that those who believe in Jesus mm -hmm. now are reconciled to the God who created them, um, reconciling them from the sin that separated us right. from him, right? So so then you, that's the that's the gets us saved part, which is what you're alluding to earlier is the gospel isn't just to get us saved, right? Mm -hmm. The gospel then gives us hope mm -hmm. that Jesus rose from the dead, that we, because he rose, we have risen to new life with him. That's, that's baptism. That's why we baptize that physical demonstration of yeah. being risen to life in Christ. And that someday we will be with him in heaven for all eternity mm -hmm. in perfection in the presence of the Lord. Um, and so gospel in a nutshell God's perfect. He created man sinned. Um, man needs a savior. Jesus is our savior. Savior paid the penalty. We believe we are then reconciled back to yeah. that God. Um, and so gets us saved. But then the gospel going forward is that it's the hope that we have for eternity in his presence that gives us the motivation. It gives us the assurance that Jesus who rose from the dead will not die again. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he's standing at the right hand of the father now. Um, he will come back to get us. He will make everything right. 
Um, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit, which is, that's the sanctification. That's the peace after we get saved. Mm-hmm. That continual work of mm-hmm. fruit in our life going forward. So, um, might have gone longer than a minute, but thanks for doing that, Chris. Because <laughs> when John said that, he looked over at me, and I broke into a cold sweat. I was like, "Nope, you guys go. Yes, I'm go. not going to do it. I'm not going to." So do I'm, if, I'm sure I missed some stuff, but uh, Eric, if you wanted to, oh well, yeah, I think it, you can always add um, the simple, the simple, simple, simple thing is bad news. We're sinners. Mm-hmm. We've sinned against the holy God, and we can't pay for it. Right. Good news. Jesus pays on it mm-hmm. on our behalf. Yeah, um, and we receive that payment by faith. We believe. Mm-hmm. Um, now, out of that belief, um, the Bible would then parse that and say there's evidence of that belief. Mm-hmm. So you're saved by faith. Um, evidence of that faith is repentance. That's you see the sin, you turn from the sin, you walk towards Christ, you produce fruit, mm-hmm. you love and obey His commandments. That's First John. And so it's important that you see fruit as evidence of salvation, not the way to earn salvation. And I think that's an important distinction. I feel like we keep mentioning that, like, you know, produce fruit. So my question would be, do you feel like maybe people who are questioning how do I know I'm saved might be on the basis of their looking at their life thinking like, oh, where's my fruit? Like, what am I, where, Mm -hmm. where's my proof? you know, in this world that I'm, that I love the Lord. And I was saying earlier to them before we started recording, like, I don't usually question, am I saved? Like, I know that I'm saved, but Mm -hmm. my question to myself is, am I a good enough quote unquote Christian? Like, am I, if people were to look at me, would they be like, oh yeah, Leslie's a Christian and not just a Christian, but like, she's a good, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) she's, she's going to heaven. She's doing these things. But I know that's off track a bit, but that's that's my question to myself is always like, does the world look at me and think, oh yeah, she loves the Lord. Like, mm. you know, am I doing the things that produce fruit that prove to this world like that I'm a follower of Jesus? That's where I have my internal struggle. So it sounds like your question is more of a question of effectiveness. Yeah. Rather than am I saved, am I not saved? Right. But really, am I am I an effective member of the household right. of God yes. <laughs> is my life glorifying Christ and which I would I would argue that's that desire and that concern is proof. Yeah, I <laughs> I think there's there's an important lesson here is that what Leslie is experiencing is normal. Mm-hmm. But at the same time it's not helpful. Here's why. Because depending who you ask, they're going to say she's a saint. You know, right? <laughs> and then someone else might look and be like, oh, she doesn't do X, Y, Z. Yeah. And so the trap we fall into is mm-hmm. that our, our Christianity is evidenced by other people's opinions. And so on one sense, are you doing enough? No, none of us are. Yeah. Right? Because the standard is Jesus. And so we have to keep that standard. That's who we're to be like. There's no one else that can make us, you know, like the Pharisee. Oh, I praise God that I'm not like that man. Okay, that, mm-hmm. We're not to do that at all. Mm-hmm. It's, oh man, I need to be more like Christ. And that's the goal Paul says he strives endlessly towards, is to be and finish the race, being like yeah. Jesus in its fullness. So the, I think the question has to center around, do I love Jesus? And then what are the evidences in my life that mm-hmm. I love Jesus? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And so two quick ones is, okay, do I hate sin? And do I make decisions out of a love for Christ? Mm -hmm. And it's the same you can look in your marriage. You know, am I doing this act because I'm hoping to receive a reciprocal act? Or am I doing this just because I love them? You know, and sometimes that's maybe easier with your kids because you know there's no return on that investment for a long time, (laughs) right? You just love them and you're doing it. Yeah. And it's obvious, I love you, your mind, and I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that same. When, when, when you look at Christ, is it, I love him, and I'm doing this. And when you fail, you care. Just mm-hmm. like when you fail in any relationship, if you care about the relationship, you're like, ah, I didn't want to hurt that person. Mm-hmm. And it's not fear of losing the relationship. It's caring about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Like when when I forget to take out the trash, I don't wonder if I'm married. I know I'm married, right? But I'm like, oh, she asked me to do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that. I don't want to let her down because I care about her. Yeah. One phrase that's been thrown around at LBC a lot uh, just because of recent events has been the idea of penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, I throw that around all the time. <laughs> you must have heard that from me. She does, uh, yeah. You know, and, and that, I, I, you know, before you just, you know, relegate that off to, well, that's just some, you know, theological thing up in the ethos somewhere. Um, I think I think that it's very pertinent to this conversation because understanding what took place on the cross, I think, helps us understand what we do as believers when we sin and how we come to God as believers when we sin. Can we get a brief definition of... Yeah, so... <laughs> I think uh, the language sounds hard, but it's not. So penos Mm -hmm. is penalty, right? There's a penalty that sin causes, and that penalty is death and eternal separation from God. Substitution, Jesus is the substitute taking that penalty for us. We couldn't pay the penalty. That's the bad news in the gospel. There's a penalty. We sinned against the holy God, and we have no way to make it right. Christ pays the penalty as our substitute. Mm Mm-hmm on the atonement, atonement meaning making right our sins through the payment and shedding of blood, right? Which takes us back to the garden. They sinned, there's the shedding of blood and the covering of shame, right? And so Jesus is the once for all covering of sin, payment for sin. Mm -hmm. So penal takes our penalty, substitute as our substitute, atonement, making it right before a holy God. And so what that means then is that for those of us who are in Christ, for those who are trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for the salvation of their souls and for the forgiveness of sins, uh, the, 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 the short way of summing that up would be to say that Jesus Christ died in my place on the cross yes. for my sins. Yeah, when we're doing a new member interview, well, we like to... Um, this is going to give people the keys to the, to the cheat code here. But <laughs> when we're going through that, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, walk through the gospel. But we'll ask, you know, if you're at the gates of heaven mm-hmm. and Peter says, why should I let you in? You know, the, the answer we're looking for is that Jesus paid for me to be here. Mm-hmm. He paid my price that I might be here. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I did. It is the payment of Christ that allows me to be in there. And so the reason I bring this up is that, you know, for, for those of you who are listening who, uh, you know, you've, you've trusted in Jesus, you've truly trusted in Jesus, and maybe you're always beset by this question. 
you know, because you see sin in your life or because you, you just can't seem to measure up to the perfection of Christ, which, by the way, none of us do this side of heaven. That's right. Um, you know, and, and that, that's something that really weighs on you. Um, the, the good news is understanding the gospel deeper, understanding what Christ accomplished on the cross helps us be at rest, which I believe is God's desire for us, that we have that assurance of faith because it's not about me getting it right. It's about the fact that Jesus got it right Amen. for me and that all the wrath uh, that, that, that is due me <laughs> for my sins, for my, uh, for my many offenses against a holy God, Jesus took the full brunt of that wrath on the cross in my place and freely offers me now his perfect record of righteousness. And so as I stand before God, I stand before God even now reconciled to him. I stand before him uh, in a, from a position of holiness as pure, being clothed in the robe of Christ. That changes things so that now when I do sin or when I am tempted or when Satan does, as you said, like to press on you know, those areas of failure in my life, I can now take a step back and say, no, that's not what my gospel preaches. That's not mm-hmm. what the gospel of Jesus Christ says. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, yeah, I can turn from that sin. I can repent of that sin because my standing before God has not shifted an inch because Christ already paid it all, and I stand in his righteousness. Yeah, that's the tension, is, is standing firm that Christ paid for my sin, but then also realizing that doesn't now give you permission to just sin and not care. Right. Right. You know, and that's why it's important you, you read through Romans in mm. Romans six fifteen he says, What then are we to sin because we're not under the law but under of grace but under grace? He says, By no means. Yeah. And so that's where I think the the key to understanding this is how do I view my and here's the word relationship with Jesus. Mm. And do I treat it like a relationship that matters? And when you look at all the other relationships that matter to you, how does it compare to how you treat Christ? You know, is there communication? Um, Is there a sharing of failures and fears? Mm. Is there a commitment to caring about what he cares about? Any good relationship has shared values and um, you care about what they care about. And so looking at your life and, and finding those evidences of a committed relationship, knowing like your other relationships, there's going to be failure. Mm-hmm. Now, what's cool is there's no failure on his part. The failure is right. all on us. Right. And so we don't have to worry about his motivation and his love. And all those things are certain in Scripture. It's us trying to get it more right each day. That's great. That's really, really good news for us. What, what, so let's, let's bring it down to a more practical level now. How do we know? I mean, what are maybe some fruit? What are some signs? And you've already mentioned some. Yeah. Um, but maybe let's, let's, let's clarify that a little bit more. What are some signs as we evaluate our lives uh, that we can point to, to say, you know, as, as proof of the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us, as proof of the fact that we really, truly belong to him? So, you know, James hits it that faith without works is dead. Hmm. So uh, the way you want to parse that is that you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith, but that faith produces works. So where in your life can you say, because I love Jesus, I fill in the blank. Hmm. Um, 
my response to what Jesus did on the cross for me is. You know, so the Bible gives us some, some categories. Bearing fruits, one of those categories. Um, when you're patient with someone, is it so that they'll like you? Or is it Christ was patient with me, a sinner? I deserved hell, mm. and he saved me. Um, your gentleness, your kindness, is it, hey, the, these are good people skills, and this is how you make friends, and this is how you get people to like you. Or is it, no, this is what I see in Christ, and this is what I want to see in me. Mm. And so it's, it's parsing the motivation of the heart. And that's what's been so helpful about Matthew is the Pharisees have evidences on the outside. And, and Jesus makes it clear, like, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside. You're dead on the inside. Because the internal motivation for them was, look at me. Yeah. yeah. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. And, and I think the evidence for you is like, no, look at Christ. Why are you that way? Well, because of Christ. Mm. This is what he's done for me. This is what he's taught me. And, and I act this way because I'm of him. It's good. I don't know if that helps. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, I was going to piggyback off of that in Ephesians 4, um, 17 through 32 and then into Ephesians chapter 5 but Paul uses this word of putting off your old self and putting on the new self so mm -hmm. it's we don't do that to earn God's love but we do it out of out of love for Christ we desire to stop acting like we used to yeah start putting on things of Christ and we only are able to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in us but mm -hmm. there's an active kind of working with Christ as he's transforming our minds and hearts and then into Ephesians 5 it talks about um, you know verse 1 be imitators of God as beloved children walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God which is kind of what Eric was saying too mm -hmm. it's out of the motivation for a love for Christ that we desire to allow God to change our hearts and yeah. start putting away the things that um we used to do and start putting on the things that Christ wants to change in yeah. us. I think an, an easy one to look at is how do you view sin, yeah. right? So your classic text is, is Psalm 51, and I, I, look at, I look at David, and the phrase that stands out to me, I'm going to get a little King James on you, is, you know, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Mm. Cast me not away from your presence. He cares about the relationship he has with God. Mm. And he's saying, don't take that relationship. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not saying, hey, I, I want to do miracles still and do this. And, you know, he's like, no, 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 take not thy Holy Spirit away from yeah. me. That's my helper. That's what helps me understand you and talk to you. He deeply cares about the relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, Peter denies Christ. And, and when he comes to the realization of what he did, he mourns his sin. And that's mm -hmm. why the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are those who mourn, um, because it shows you care about your relationship with Jesus. Um, you look at Matthew 18, and it's saying, well, what do you do when someone sins against you? You go to your brother, and if they turn, you've gained your brother. Mm -hmm. What is it showing you? They care about sin. They care about Christ. And as that passage progresses, if they don't care that they've sinned, 
says, okay, bring more people so you can help them see, like, this is a sin, this is serious, right. this, God tells us not to do this. The conclusion when someone refuses to care about sin is that you treat them like a non-Christian, that they, they don't know um, the gospel. They don't know that Christ died for their sin and that they've sinned against the Holy God. And so I, I think you can see that marker throughout the scriptures. Paul is very aware that he is a sinner. Mm-hmm. You know, he calls himself the chief sinner and, and that you care that that sin is against the one you have a relationship with, mm-hmm. God, your father, because of the work of Christ. And so how do you treat sin? Do, do, yeah. do you care? Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, a, another way of putting, you know, whether or not you care about your sin, do you care about sin? Um, really, I think that that gets manifested in the old-fashioned church word of repentance, that what we're, what we're talking about when we say, you know, caring about our sin and, and that it matters is repenting. And Matthew 18 is a perfect example. You're trying to call a brother to repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he refuses uh, time and time and time again, over and over and over again, it's, it's pretty clear there's probably nothing else. He's pretty clear that he's probably not a believer. Yeah. Uh, because there is no real care or concern over his sin that would lead him towards repentance. Mm-hmm. And so it's not perfection that's a part of the Christian life. No. What we're looking for is is, is that active hatred of sin and love of Christ. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, I, and I think it's evidence of caring mm-hmm. about the relationship. And it, it can't be a cheap, I said a prayer. Right. You know, I care. I like Jesus. It's no, Christ died for me and I am forever grateful. Yeah. And, you know, out of a great gift comes a great response. Mm-hmm. And so you respond to sin like it matters. You respond to being obedient like it matters because you care about that relationship. That's good. What else? What are some other, what are some other marks of a true believer in Jesus Christ? So First John 4 tells us, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar mm-hmm. and the truth is not in him. Um, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And so I, I think in, in the scriptures, what you see is this, this tension of knowing that Christ knows you and you know him. Mm. That's why in Matthew 7, when they say, well, didn't we do miracles and signs and wonders in your name? Notice Jesus says, get away from me. I never knew you. Mm. So there is an acknowledgement that he knows you and you know him. And what the Bible says is evidence that you know him is that you do his commandments. That's good. It doesn't say you're perfect, but you're trying to keep the commandments. And it says that in that keeping of the commandments, the love of God is perfected hmm. because it communicates you love God. I care about what he says. I want to do what he says. Um, yeah, I was going to add, um, I said believers increasingly persevere under persecution and hardship. Mm. Um, cause I think we've all talked about, um, Eric shared his story. Um, you shared your story, but you come to that crisis point of, I believe in Jesus. Therefore yeah. I'm going to act differently. I'm going to trust him in this. Yeah. Um, and I think the persecution and hardships that God allows in our life. Um, I read this morning, that's a token. It's, it's kind of like God's way of demonstrating that you are his child and he's going to give you the perseverance and the endurance in it, but mm-hmm. he's wanting to build you up and gird you up, um, and endure. Um, 
So it was just, yeah, Hebrews 10, uh, 32 through 39. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being public ex- publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, <laughs> since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's good. Um, and then it says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Um, but he talks about you have a need of it for endurance, and God's going to use those things to, to strengthen the fact that um, I am a child of God, and yeah. he's with me, um, and being willing to, to go through that persecution and hardships. And that, that also speaks to proof of the fact that we can't lose our salvation, mm-hmm. that those who belong to Christ, Christ keeps, mm-hmm. and he keeps until the end. He does not lose. No one can snatch us from his hand. Such yeah. good news. Yeah. <laughs> it's my only hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying believers also have a desire to be with the people of God. Mm. Uh, I remember this is my sophomore year in high school. That's the first time I prayed the prayer. My friend. <laughs> first time? My friend, I like how we yeah. talk about the first time. <laughs> the first <laughs> time you prayed the we'll prayer. We'll talk some more. Uh, so my friend Leanne, uh, sweet friend, she lived up the street. She brought her youth pastor to my house, and they knocked on the door, you know, my parents aren't Christian. We weren't Christian. We didn't go to church. So I walk outside, have a conversation with them. The pastor lays out the gospel and says, would you like to pray with us? And I said, sure. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I just, whatever it takes to get you off my doorstep, <laughs> I'll do whatever it takes. So I prayed the prayer. It meant nothing to me. So then Leanne invites me to church. And so I go with her a couple of times and like, I did not want to be there. It was like a, um, you know, opposite ends of a magnet, you know, mm-hmm. kind of repulsed. Mm-hmm. Like, was freaked out, didn't want to be there. So fast forward 18, um, I'm in a church, surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's when I, it really made sense. The gospel made sense. I believed. And then there, all, there was a desire to be at church. Yeah. And now there was a desire to, like, read his, his word. Um, and so, yeah, we see examples of that. You can go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Where it says, don't forsake the gathering of the believers. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that, that all of us have a unique peace and part. And then you've got Acts chapter 2 where they shared everything. And, um, and you, like, all throughout the New Testament, you're seeing this community and this relationship of, of people that want to be together um, as they're growing and learning about mm-hmm. Christ. So desire to be with the people of God, I think, is a good indicator. And um, if, if, if you never want to be at church, if you never want to be around other Christians, um, you know, you could maybe have some really deep hurts by the church that need to be resolved. Um, but then I think you also got to think, like, why don't I want to be at church around God's people? And um, that's important. That's that's we are kind of adopted into God's family. We want to be part of that. I like how Eric always says sometimes on Sunday. If you don't like church, you're going to hate heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, yeah, there's truth in that because heaven's going to be full of people that go to church mm-hmm. right? full of other Christians. And to take what Chris said and press it a little further, you know, Ephesians 5, when it's talking about marriage and it commands the husband to love the wife and sacrifice himself as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. Um, the church, but he, when he doesn't just mean for Christians, church is a specific function it's a place where god's word is taught it's governed and shepherded by elders um, god is worshiped there mm-hmm. people grow there and so 
part of loving Christ is loving what Christ loves. Mm -hmm. And so this whole idea that you can love Jesus, but not the church, it's very, I mean, there was a book, you know, when we were, you know, early 2000s. And it's like, no, you can't love a man and hate his wife. Right. That, 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 that doesn't work. And, and so God you, chose to use the church as a means to grow us yeah. and give us community and teach us. And that's where we're to use our gifts and also um, have people serve us. And, and it says, you know, that the church is the bride of Christ and you're to love his bride, mm -hmm. you know. And so part of that evidence is that you love what Christ loves. Well, Christ loves God's word, mm -hmm. right? He's, he loves to do God's will. He loves the church. He loves spending time with the Father. You know, so these are the things we care about as we are of Christ and in Christ. I feel like this is a good time to uh, tell people to circle back to the Making Sunday Morning a Priority podcast. I was just that about we to just say did that. because I feel like if you were interested in that, <laughs> we've got a whole you know podcast what, about it. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're right on. Um, yeah, that's 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 exactly what I was what I was about to mention. You know, if, if you go back to the previous episode, uh, prioritizing the Sunday gathering, we we touched on the fact that um, the Bible uses familial language when it refers to how we are to relate to one another. And you know, when you look at Romans chapter eight, fifteen and sixteen, it tells us that if we're in Christ, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons. Um, and and it's and it's that spirit, the Holy Spirit, that causes us to cry out, that causes our spirits to cry out, Abba, Father. You know that there's this familial aspect to the gathering. That it's 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 not just that, hey, we have kind of a renewed love for one another. No, it, we're actually the family of God, and we it it, it goes deeper than just a intellectual understanding of that. There really is a spiritual understanding that occurs. Um, if you've ever traveled overseas to a place where they don't speak English or the, or, you know, if you, if you've ever visited a church in a, in another country, even when it's in another language, I can't describe it to you, but I have no idea what people are saying, but there's this connection uh -huh. <laughs> just you're, by you're being a part of the family of God. And I, I can't describe it other than it's, it's a spiritual thing, um, where we are of the same family. We have the same father, you know, God, and we're, we're, we have the same spirit that dwells inside of us, and we've all, uh, you know, um, come to faith in Christ really essentially the same way. Christ, Christ who saved us, and we have the same story. Um, it's really a very beautiful thing to belong to the family of God. And so that, that love of church, love of God's people, should be a natural byproduct, a natural fruit that comes out of our lives if we belong to him. Okay, so one other question that I had for everybody, too— was what if I don't ever worry that I'm saved? What if I'm going through this life going, oh, I'm good. Like, I, should I worry? Is there a point where it is a detriment to me and my salvation that I'm not slightly worried? <laughs> to put, you know, a better way, like, do I, do I have reason to worry? Do I need to worry? Do I need to examine myself, question myself, question my motives? And if I'm not doing that, is that a problem? Yeah, I, I think we need to parse two words there. The difference between examine and worry. Bible tells us not to worry, calls us to examine. And so it's healthy to examine because I think sometimes the motivations of our heart can be very much, I'm going to do this for God and God's going to do this for me. Mm -hmm. Or this, mm. this action or behavior benefits me, so I'll act 
in this way to receive that benefit. That's what we've talked about a little bit, cultural Christianity. You know what you're supposed to say, when you're supposed to say it, what tone you're supposed to say it in, mm-hmm. so that you reap the benefits of the community. Um, so what the examining does, that First Corinthians calls us to, is what's the motivation in my heart? Do I do these things because I love Christ, because I am responding to what he did on the cross on my behalf, taking my place, bearing the wrath of God? And, and so the examining is absolutely healthy. The worrying, that's why I, I think those verses are there to assure us. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, I think it's natural for us to worry. Otherwise, I don't think there'd be so much emphasis on Ephesians 3 understand, comprehend the depth, width, height, breadth of God's love. Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Um, So should we worry? You know, no. Should we examine? Yes. We need to examine. And communion's definitely a good time to do that. What if we're not examining? So that's when the Bible says that you um, potentially heap judgment on yourself because Mm -hmm. you're taking... Um, communion in an unworthy manner and so what that looks like is us just tossing back the juice and cracker and being like all right I'm good instead of actually walking through like no my sin put him there without his shedding of blood I'm in trouble now the Bible you mean read the Bible it's saying this is why many of you are sick and some of you are dying because you're taking communion in an unworthy manner that's crazy and so God's saying that he judges those who don't take that serious so I'm going to take that to be you know we we have to examine ourselves because Mm -hmm. if we don't there's this idea that um, my sin doesn't matter what Christ did okay it's you know it's kind of a big deal I'm kind of a big deal we're both kind of a big (laughs) deal you know like there's this kind of like natural conclusions you draw and you just you're numb and you don't care and God said okay you're taking communion and you're not even recognizing what I did on the cross Mm. and so there's going to be a consequence to draw you back to oh wow thank you Jesus for dying on the cross for my sins yeah I would I would I would add to that too I think you know one red flag to look for um, is if you it's going back to do I hate sin you know I, I I think that if you're living in open sin and you have absolutely no qualms and there is no battle and there is nothing going on in your heart that condemns you one way or the other, that's a giant red flag. Yeah. A giant red flag. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's the conflict inside of, of believers when they sin. Um, it's the concern, the deep concern over their relationship or potentially lost relationship with Jesus Christ those are typically the markers of somebody who really does belong to Christ and just simply needs to repent. Um, it's when there's no battle going on inside, when there's nothing inside of you that's, that's speaking against you, the, the, the sin in your heart or in your mind or hidden sins or any of those things. Um, if, if there's no battle there, if there's no war there, if it's just everyday life and it's no big deal and Jesus loves me and I'm going to keep going... I would, I would say you need to examine. <laughs> you, need, you have reason to pause, and you have reason to ask, do I even possess the Holy Spirit? Uh, because the Holy Spirit and, and my sin don't get along in my, <laughs> in my heart. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's the Holy Spirit that leads me to kill my sin, to mortify my sin, uh, to, to repent of that and to confess it and to walk in the light. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, a, a red flag is when people see no need to 
to go to church. They see no need to maybe read their Bibles because they have an external standard they're measuring themselves against. Mm. And so their, their sufficiency is in their behavior because, you know, they're not cheating on their wife. They pay their taxes. They don't swear. Um, they give to charitable, charitable events. Mm. Um, they don't have any type of um, mainline addictions. And so it's like, whoa, 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 where, where's the motivation of the heart? And no matter how good you are, you, you need Christ, right? Mm. And you um, need to be more like Jesus. There's something more for us to give always. And so uh, I think that's a good time to be like, okay, whoa, I don't even see my need for a Savior. I don't even see my sinfulness. Yeah. I don't even care in changing it. Um, I've I've fixated my standards to the world instead of Christ, realizing I fall short. I need Jesus. I need to be around other Christians to encourage me, um, convict me, help me. You know, so I, I think that that might be another way to to kind of mm-hmm. say that. I think anytime you operate in Christianity out of a sense entitlement, either one or two things have happened. You've you have a root of bitterness towards God, and you need to repent of it, or or you were you came to like, you're like a false convert, mm. right? You, you believed in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which, you know, oddly enough, when we do new member interviews, it doesn't happen a lot, but there's always one when we'll say, you know, if you were to die today, how sure are you you'd go to heaven? They're like, ooh, and then you, already know, you know what's coming. They're like, probably 90 <laughs> because I haven't been in my Bible and I haven't prayed and... Mm. Okay, so if you were to die right now, you're 90% sure. And so they kind of have bought into this. You know, they were presented the gospel false, right? right. Um, if you believe and if you do this, then God will give you wealth and prosperity and he'll take care of you. And so you have this entitlement about you. Well, I've done these things. Now God has to give me these things. Mm. And so you can, to me, that's a cause of concern because you need to, okay, am I saved? And if I am saved, why am I demanding these things of God? Or, no, that's how I've lived my whole life. Yeah. I, op- I give, he gives. I give, he gives. And, you know, the scripture is clear. You're, you're promised Christ himself. You're right. promised heaven. You're promised the Holy Spirit. You're promised the family of, of believers. You're, you're promised forgiveness of sins. It doesn't promise um, that you won't have hardships. You won't have trials. You won't be persecuted. You won't have health concerns. None of those things are promised. And so a sense of entitlement, um, I think, needs to be parsed out. Why do I feel entitled? Yeah. And, and, and really that comes down to that's probably identifying the object of your faith. Mm-hmm. That, yep. you know, really what it means is that you're not putting your faith in Christ. You're putting your faith in your obedience. Yes. Or you're putting your faith in your faith. Yeah. And, and that, that leads to all kinds of messes because the fact is there's only one who saves and that's Christ. That's right. It's not my faith that saves. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Christ. He is the one who saves. Faith is the instrument. (laughs) It is the means by which we are saved, but it is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ uh, that we are saved. That's right. And so, um, yeah, it's it's the answer to that question that that really does answer a, a lot of a lot of questions or, or mysteries around, you know, what am I really trusting in for righteousness and for salvation? Enough righteousness to measure up to God. Yeah. And I, I think to, to maybe bring some 
some comfort because I think some people they sin, they freak out. Mm -hmm. You know, you're saved. Mm -hmm. And the way you want to say you have a season, I think everyone has seasons where they're cold towards Christ or they're distant from Christ. Mm -hmm. Is to not just throw out all of Christianity, hit a reset, you know, have a, a time of repenting reflecting on okay here's how i've sinned Mm -hmm. but i know you know romans 8 god loves me pray ephesians 3 help me understand and feel the depth width and breadth of god's love and help me obey and and here's where relationship is key the feelings won't always be there Mm -hmm. you know and i think sometimes people take a lack of feeling as um an a, a pronouncement or judgment that they're not a christian Sometimes the greatest act of being a Christian is I don't feel like it, but I do love. And despite my feelings and out of love, I will do this. You know, those are your greatest moments in your marriage and your parenting is when the last thing you want to do is something nice or kind. But because you love, you do that act. Mm -hmm. And so don't get wrapped up in this. Well, I just don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't know. You might not feel it. If you love, you, you follow through with it and, and, and take stock. And that is an evidence of your love for Christ. Instead of putting all your weight in this, this kind of like magical feeling, mm-hmm. you know, like Disneyland, you get those moments, but that's not the norm operating standard of Christian life. It's good. That's a really, really good conversation to have. And so, you know, if you're if you're listening to this and, uh, you know, you've you've believed in Christ, as Acts tells us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Uh, you know, and if you've confessed with your mouth, as Romans 10 says, you know, if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, the, the Bible is very, very simplistic. We have one object of our faith and it is Christ and Christ alone. And if you're trusting uh, in the finished work of Jesus Christ to make you right with God, for the forgiveness of sins and for reconciled relationship to him and for the hope of all of eternity. I mean, if that's where your faith rests, uh, you are saved. You, you, you belong to him. You have his spirit inside of you. And you may feel weak at the moment, and that seeks to condemn your heart. But I hope you've been encouraged today, dear believer. I hope that you've been encouraged that, you know, whether your faith is weak or whether your faith is strong right now, you have a strong Christ. And it is Christ who saves and he will keep you and he will hold you to the end. And hopefully, if there's listeners out there where you've never asked these questions of yourself and you've never really questioned why you do anything or what you are truly trusting in for the salvation of your soul, um, I, I, I hope the Holy Spirit uses this to, to maybe help you ask some, some harder questions and to know if you need to reach out to us or to a dear brother or sister, to a pastor here at the church. We would love to hear from you. And we would love to sit down and share the glories of the gospel. Um, I just want to wrap up with this, with this one, you know, this one truth. We sing a song here, and this is the worship leader oh. in me right now. Okay. We, we sing a song here by Matt Boswell, where uh, he, he took uh, a, a Puritan prayer straight from uh, the Valley of Vision, which, by the way, I highly recommend if you haven't read the Valley of Vision. And we sing it here at church where it says, No day, we make this confession, no day of my life has passed that has not proved me guilty in your sight. That's talking to God. That's a big statement. A huge statement. 
all things in me, it, it, it gets, it gets even worse. Yep. All things in me call for my rejection. That's mm-hmm. right. But all things in you talking about Jesus, all things in Jesus plead for my acceptance. And that's really where our hope rests. What a relief. That's what you say that. I just think, Oh, what a relief. Thank what you, relief. Lord. Like- and it's the gospel in, in, in a nutshell, because we, we get to that chorus and the first words of that chorus are, yeah, I am guilty. But I'm pardoned. Yeah. And I think if I could give one final maybe directive is, you know, if you're someone who struggles about, you know, am I saved? Let's shift kind of that emotion a little bit. Mm -hmm. You're saved. And allow that angst inside of you to be more towards, well, why did I do that sin? And what can I do to try not do that sin anymore. That's good. Redirect your energy mm-hmm. um, because that emotion's there. And if, and if you direct it properly, it can be really helpful. Um, believe John 6 and John 10 that you are in Christ's hand and mm-hmm. nothing can take you out of it. You've been adopted. You are saved. You are paid for. So then rather than, than question that, start questioning, why did I do that? Why do I keep doing that? <laughs> and how can I how can I work on stopping? Yeah. Do I need to ask help from someone in the church? Do I need to put roadblocks mm-hmm. uh, and obstacles that make it harder to do that? Um, do I you know how can I just spend some time with God dialoguing? Why is this sin there, and how can I overcome it? Yeah. And, and and try to work the, the the problem of the sin rather than trying to question, am I saved? I think there's two tensions we want here. One, if you're kind of that person that's like, I'm saved by grace, nothing matters. No, the Bible says your relationship with Jesus Jesus matters. Mm-hmm. And grace is not permission to sin. And so you need to care about the relationship. You, you need to care about sinning against God. And then if you're on the opposite end, you, you worry all the time. Stop worrying. Mm-hmm. Christ paid for you. Mm-hmm. You're his focus on getting that relationship better and better each day and realize some days will be worse than others some months will be harder than others but none of that takes away that christ paid for you focus on getting it more right each day not does he love me because he does he loves you amen the lbc podcast is a ministry of laurel Glen bible church in bakersfield california Hey, we're so glad that you could join us here on the podcast, but we would love to see your face on a Sunday morning. We have services at 8.30 and 10 a.m. every single Sunday morning. We have classes for all ages and all stages on Sundays and throughout the week, and we would love to see you face-to-face. You can find out all this information and more at laurelglenn.org. God bless.